Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. And we are here the week of December 12th, 2023 through December 15th, 2023. I did it. You did it. Ten days till Christmas. Uh, ten. Ten. I'm not in the Christmas spirit yet. I'm not in any kind of... <laughs> spirit <laughs> but definitely not the christmas spirit yeah. there's no way it's not time it's not, not time yet there's no spirits that we're in at yeah, all right I, now yeah it's we still haven't passed thanksgiving it doesn't feel like so yeah labor day is yeah. it labor day <laughs> is it labor day yeah are we looking forward to summer or wait a minute fall I, i'm looking at? forward to sunday national championship That's true we are uh, hopefully going to be home to another national championship volleyball team incredible match last night wow yeah it was uh well done against Pittsburgh. And then um, what do you feel about going through uh, with Texas instead of Wisconsin? Well, you know, it would have been fun to have played Wisconsin again, but they've been our they've been our bogey team. They've been one of those teams that's just had our number for the last few years. So, you know, frankly, I feel a little better against Texas, although the way Texas played against yeah. against uh, Wisconsin, that was pretty unbelievable. So I hope we can receive service better than Wisconsin did because, wow. Texas kind of rolled. Yeah, I just I'll enjoy watching Texas lose in any format, whatsoever. anytime, any day. Yeah, yeah. That burn orange, it's uh, horrible. It's, it's, it's absolutely horrible. It's, it's not fun to look at. Yeah, I don't know why it was. I hate Texas more, dislike Texas more than I think maybe any other school. I think Oklahoma probably had that rivalry before, but growing up, it was just always like, God, Texas is the worst. Yeah, it was Colorado and then later Texas for me. But anyway. Uh, what do we got for ex parte summary, Carson? All right. First one we have is Noland versus Yost in loco parentis. Ooh, fun. This is Eric in Brown Limited Partnership, the Middle Republican National uh, Natural Resources District. Um, and that is a civil APA constitutional due process fair trial. Lopez versus Catholic Charities. Workers' Compensation or tort claim. All right, let's get started with that Supreme Court case. Go ahead, Carson. All right, so we start off with Nolan versus Yost. And this is maybe not siren-worthy, but I think this is a pretty big case if you practice in the family law realm. So this is an appeal from the District Court of Sarpy County. And basically the big issue on appeal is that uh, this is an appeal from a marital dissolution but in this case, a husband was seeking a judicial determination that he had stood in loco parentes to his wife's biological child, and he was wishing to litigate the issues of custody and parenting time under Hickenbottom versus Hickenbottom. And so the big issue on this case is whether or not a step-parent who had established in loco parentes status could still seek to litigate is issues of custody and visitation if the other step-parent had unilaterally terminated that in loco parentes status. And so, you know, again, that's kind of the framework we have. The background on this case, which I'll try to kind of breeze through, is basically uh, Yost and Nolan were married in 2016. They didn't have any children that were born to the marriage, but they both had children from a prior relationship. And the child who was at issue was approximately two years old when the a uh, couple had gotten married, had lived exclusively uh, with Yost and Nolan during the marriage. And then uh, in this case, it was undisputed that during the uh, relationship and during the marriage, the child had believed and, and referred to Nolan as her father, and she considered him to be her father. 
And so basically what happens here is that in September of 2021, Nolan had filed a complaint for dissolution of marriage. And at that point in time, Yost basically takes the child away and says that you uh, cannot have a relationship with this child. And so Nolan, uh, during that, files uh, for an order basically showing that he was in in, uh, in loco parentis status and that he could seek to have visitation um, and custody. And so there's a hearing on that. And uh, basically what the court found or the district court found was that it was a parent's right as a biological parent to uh, seek a determination of what was in their best interest of their child. And so therefore the district court found that even though the step parent in this case, Nolan had established an in loco parentis status had acted as this child's parent and had stood in the role of being a parent. The step parent could unilaterally terminate that relationship. And because the step parent had did had done that and had a right to do that, according to the district court, uh, there basically was no, uh, longer and in loco parentis status, and uh, therefore there was no ability to seek uh, any kind of custody or issues like visitation. And so the Supreme Court takes this up, and a couple of things just to frame the issues here is the the first thing, of course, is is dealing with jurisdiction, which actually is pretty relevant in this case, and and is something you should take a look at if you have uh, anything like this on appeal, because it goes into uh, a lot of finding a final appealable order in dissolution cases, and and dealing with what is a final appealable order and what deals with um, a a substantial right. And then the second issue is. Um, framing the issue of that in loco parente status, but here uh, there weren't any assignments of error uh, listed with the appellate court rules uh, at at the, the start of the appeal and um, numbered individually. And so here they basically were just looking at that issue uh, for plain error. And so again, first thing you have to deal with is the jurisdictional issue. I'm not going to get into that a ton, uh, but basically what they, they found here is that because there was no determination of that in loco parente status, it basically ended Nolan's ability to seek any of the other things. And so they found that to be a final appealable order and found that it, it affected a, a substantive right. And so um, again, uh, a, ga- a great case to look at if you have something that's an issue on appeal to go find that jurisdiction, find out if you have jurisdiction in any kind of a dissolution proceeding because they go into uh, all the different statutes and all the different issues relating to dissolutions. But eventually they found that they had jurisdiction to deal with this. And so then they go into the uh, plain air issue. And so here they basically deal with, you know, what does in loco parentes mean? What did that mean at common law? And then um, the uh, parental preference principles and and those doctrines. And basically what, and I, again, there's a a ton of good law in here, a ton of analysis of of a couple of different uh, major cases in in Nebraska precedent that are discussed. But basically what happens here at the end is that um, the Supreme Court says that yes, district court, you're, you're correct that the parental preference does matter, but it's basically a rebuttable presumption. And it doesn't mean that it's completely dispositive. Um, So while a, a natural or adoptive parent can uh, stand in that uh, role in loco parentes, that termination of that can either be decided by the child or that individual, but it's not as simple as just uh, a biological parent saying, 
you know, I'm term- terminating this uh, relationship unilaterally. And so there's a lot more that goes into it than simply having parental preference to say, yes, I am taking this child away and you're no longer the parent um, and I'm ending that relationship. And then that that is simply dispositive and ends the inquiry. Uh, basically here, the Supreme Court is saying, no, we have to look a little bit further. And there's a lot more issues that go into deciding if the parental preference is what is going to control uh, the best interests of the child. So here, the Supreme Court reverses and remands, uh, finding that the district court uh, erred in finding that the parental preference doctrine gave Yost the uh, unilateral right to terminate that in loco parente status and therefore end uh, any further inquiries as to uh, issues of custody or visitation uh, in this matter. So I, again, I think it's one of those cases that could be important to go take a look at if you have uh, kind of a unique uh, niche issue, but also if you have any other issues uh, like on appeal uh, for a dissolution case with uh, you know other underlying issues. All right, Eric and Brown Limited Partnership v. Middle Republican Natural Resources District and Merlin Brown, uh, Appley versus Middle Republican National Resource District. These two cases were combined. Um, the Eric and Brown LL, uh, Limited Partnership and Merlin Brown were um, landowners in the Middle Republican NRD, and they were told that they were misappropriating groundwater or not following the groundwater management rules. And they had a hearing where the NRD found the two uh, landowners violated the groundwater management rules. And following that hearing um, through the APA, they appealed to the district court. Now, here's where some facts uh, are important. The uh, board of directors, you have the board of directors of the NRD and then the NRD itself. And here, the lawyers for both the NRD and the board of directors were the same. And the lawyers were very involved um, in not only prosecuting the groundwater management issue, um, but also advising the board of directors on how it should be decided. Or at least that's what's in the record, because the record or uh, the um, notation, the order from the board of directors says, quote, consulted with legal counsel. Uh, before adopting the resolutions saying that they violated the groundwater management. And um, the district court here says, and and actually entertains a constitutional challenge, says um, this violates due process under the APA and otherwise because the NRD's attorneys were so involved in the decision-making process that that it makes it uh, not fair that they were given this. Um, decision. And because the attorneys were prosecuting and included in the decision-making process, uh, it nullified the presumption of neutrality. So here we have a district court who reversed the NRD. Now the NRD appeals that um, decision from the district court and we get up to the Nebraska Supreme Court. There are, uh, I'm not going to go into great detail here, there's a couple fun quotes. Um, The Nebraska Supreme Court ultimately affirms the district court and says that this does not constitute a fair tribunal, or at least what's on the record doesn't constitute a fair tribunal, and the APA process and standards that require a fair tribunal. So there's good law chunks on the APA APA process, um, and then what makes up a fair tribunal. And then this is a quote, um, 
As is often the case with respect to procedural due process, the question is one of line drawing and balancing. While administrative agencies are afforded a great deal of flexibility based upon the record, this record, we cannot conclude that the district court erred or erred in its finding that the NRD crossed the line by having its attorney participate in both the prosecution and the adjudicatory process of this case. So um, I think that's an interesting section. And then there's also this, it gets into a lot of history. It goes, the realistic appraisal of psychological tendencies and human weakness is different when the same person on the same case participates in adjudicatory functions after acting in a prosecutorial role. That's some interesting language, so I like that. Um, but what we have here is the Nebraska Supreme Court it, it, indicating here that if the attorneys are representing the NRD, um, they shouldn't be probably advising the board or at least consulting with the board prior to decisions being made by the board um, because they're prosecuting and both uh, involved in the decision-making process. So that's sent back and, um, or excuse me, that's affirmed. And so the, um, I don't know what they're going to do at the APA level. They'll probably have to start a new uh, new case at that level. But that's it for Brown versus Middle Republican NRD. Okay, next case we come to is Lopez versus Catholic Charities. And this is an appeal, an appeal from uh, the District Court of Douglas County. And basically what we're dealing with here is a, an exclusivity of remedy issue between the workers' compensation court and then uh, the district court and a tort claim. And so basically what happened here was that Lopez was employed by the Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Omaha, and her allegations in this case stemmed from a um, active shooter drill, in which case Lopez had no advance notice and had uh, basically been one frightened during this incident and then two had jumped from a retaining wall while running uh, from this incident and had allegedly injured her back and so this incident happens and lopez uh, files a tort claim in the district court and the district court uh, dismissed after a uh, motion to dismiss for a rule uh, 6b6 uh, for lack of uh, or for failure to, to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. And the reason, or the basis for the most motion to dismiss was that uh, it was an exclusivity issue for the Nebraska Workers' Compensation Court. And so, therefore, the uh, district court uh, was not the correct court to uh, hear this matter. And so, there, there's a couple of interesting issues that are dealt with. And, and one, uh, which is a, a big clarification from our Nebraska Supreme Court is uh, that the exclusivity argument when it comes to the workers' compensation court and the district court is not a jurisdictional issue. So they are very clear on this. It is not that the district court does not have jurisdiction to hear this issue. And they go on to discuss how the district court obviously has jurisdiction to hear this and that that jurisdiction is given by the Nebraska Constitution. And because it's given by the Nebraska Constitution, it is not something that can be uh, overridden by simply having a legislative act. And so the exclusivity remedy of the workers' compensation court is uh, simply an affirmative defense. And so it is co correctly raised on a uh, B6 motion 
for uh, failure to, to state a claim upon which relief can be granted, but it is not because it is a jurisdictional issue. It is because it is an affirmative defense and because of the fact that uh, the legislature has created an affirmative de- defense by creative, creating the Workers' Compensation Court, which has the ability to exclusively hear these issues. So I guess maybe it's a distinction without a difference to a certain extent, but they do make sure to clarify uh, that there is that distinction and that it is not because the district court does not have jurisdiction. Okay, and so then the uh, next issue that this essentially dealt with was whether or not uh, having a specific intent to injure someone overcomes uh, having to be within that exclusivity uh, realm of the workers' compensation court. And the big issue that that this hinges on is the fact that Lopez looked at the fact that uh, an intentional act from an employer or a specific intent from an employer takes a act out of the Workers' Compensation Act and makes it a tort. And what the Supreme Court alleges is that it's not based on whether or not the injuries um, were unexpected or unforeseen to the employer. It's whether or not they were unexpected or unforeseen to the employee. And so it's more based on the injuries and what happens to the employee. And so the act of the employer does not necessarily take it out when it comes to an intentional tort that causes actual physical uh, damage. And then the other interesting thing here that happened, and, and I don't know if we've noted it on this podcast, but It is something that's worth noting, again, when we deal with these appellate issues, is that there was a constitutional argument that was brought up, uh, but in this case, Lopez had failed failed to comply with the appellate rules in regards to notifying the attorney general and providing the attorney general with a uh, brief of this constitutional issue if the attorney general was otherwise not included. And so uh, since Lopez had failed to do that, that argument was unable to uh, be heard. And again, another one of those uh, sometimes obscure rules, but in order to hear that constitutional issue, you have to uh, comply with that piece. And so since Lopez had not, they were unable to hear that. And then finally, and I thought this was kind of a teaser, uh, the Supreme Court basically said here that they were not dealing with non-physical injuries and that Lopez had failed to uh, raise simply the mental anguish and those things alone and standing alone. And so had those been raised, it sounds like, you know, maybe that would have been something that could have uh, had some traction. But since they weren't, the Court of Appeals did not deal with that issue here and affirmed. All right, that's it for Nebraska Supreme Court. What do we got for Court of Appeals? I think you're up. I am right back up. So we start with uh, Rachel C. on behalf of Clayton R. versus Amos R. And this is an appeal from a protection, the granting of a protection order in Buffalo County. And basically what happens uh, on appeal here is that uh, Rachel had sought a protection order in favor of herself and her uh, daughter, Merrick, and her son, Clayton, against Amos. Basically, there were various allegations. Uh, it ended up happening that the uh, protection order was not sustained as to Merrick and to as to Rachel, but was sustained uh, as to Clayton. And uh, there was some underlying abuse there that was more particular than the other two individuals. And so that appeared to be why it was sustained there. But the issue on appeal... And what the Court of Appeals dealt with is basically the fact that while uh, there was a protection order granted, it essentially allowed for no contact with Amos in the meantime. And the Court of Appeals, looking at this uh, de novo and reweighing essentially what had happened here, found that 
because there was a parent-child relationship between Amos and Clayton, and because uh, while the allegations did support the granting of a uh, protection order, they did not uh, support a lack of any contact between Amos and Clayton. And so therefore, they reversed and modified uh, or reversed and remanded with uh, directions as to allowing at least some form of contact in order to maintain that parental relationship while still finding that there was enough evidence uh, to maintain that protection order. They did want to, again, uh, you know, looking at it, it seems like we continue to have one of these cases every week or two weeks, you know, work with what should be allowed or what is allowed within these protection orders. You know, in, in this case, they found that that parental uh, relationship was important enough and needed to be maintained uh, that it uh, at least had some carve outs within that protection order uh, that should have allowed for that. So that was reversed and remanded. All right. I got a quick one. This is a state V Ricky E. Anthony. Uh, This has been up three times before and uh, I think it got sent back down once. Uh, This is on a post conviction. The post conviction case, uh, here the allegations involve ineffective assistance of counsel on both his trial counsel and his appellate counsel and um, the district court somewhat summarily denied um, those claims and didn't provide him with an evidentiary hearing Um, and the you know allegations don't provide any specific facts that uh, indicate any ineffective assistance of counsel. It's uh, more general statements. So this was affirmed on appeal by the Nebraska Court of Appeals. All right, the next case we come to is State versus Waltman, and this is an appeal from a plea-based conviction in Lancaster County of attempted possession of methamphetamine, where Waltman was sentenced to a term of imprisonment for 12 to 18 years. On appeal, the issues that they are dealing with are excessive sentence and, and effective assistant and ineffective assistance of counsel. Here, the sentence was within the statutory range and the appropriate factors were considered. And as to the uh, ineffective assistance of counsel, was kind of one uh, interesting issue, which was uh, the council's failure to investigate terms of cooperation agreement. So this had started as a federal case and uh, Waltman had failed to comply with completely comply with the cooperation agreement on the federal case. And so this was actually a uh, more minor issue that the feds had uh, failed to take up. And so then the state court had brought these charges. uh, And uh, in the end, there was no ineffective assistance of counsel, but that one was just kind of uh, an interesting piece that you haven't seen too many times uh, on these criminal appeals. Okay, I have interest of Lucas C. v. Um, when the state of Nebraska v. Cynthia C., the appellant, and Juan B. at all appellees. So this is a juvenile case. Um, the juvenile court had been involved with Cynthia and her children for a number of years. She had a new child while her other children were in custody, and they had a temporary protective custody hearing. The... Um, ongoing case with the this is the youngest of five children that she had and um, the removal was based on domestic violence and lack of progress concerns uh, in her other juvenile case on appeal she alleged that there wasn't sufficient evidence and that the court didn't specifically um, find reasonable efforts just quote that it met its burden because finding that the state met its burden was all that was in the order Um, the 
appellate court here finds that the sufficient there was sufficient evidence. There's you know a few pages here indicating her struggles with uh, alcohol and relationship issues, domestic violence, and just being engaged in the process of trying to get her children back. And so they found that there was sufficient evidence in order to um, keep the children in custody. And I guess this is somewhat you know, uh, important, at least from a case law standpoint, uh, even though you can't uh, cite this one um, specifically. There's other ways to do it. We've, we talked about that earlier, how you can cite these non-permanent um, publication uh, decisions. But anyway, without a specific finding of reasonable efforts, the court here finds that when the lower court said that the uh, state of Nebraska met its burden, implicit in meeting its burden was that reasonable efforts language, uh, that reasonable efforts were made. And they said that that was, language was sufficient. You didn't have to make a specific finding of reasonable efforts. Plus, the record was pretty replete with uh reasonable efforts involved. So I think that's it for the Court of Appeals. And this was affirmed, of course. And, and um, I think that's it for the Court of Appeals. I think that's it for us this week. I think week. that is it for us this week. Well, we made it. We did make it. It's Friday. It's Friday. We only have, I'm trying to think, do we only have one more set of these before Christmas? That's crazy. What are we going to... Only two before... Do they year? release on the 22nd? Yeah, I think so. I was, I was not going to do anything that day uh, you have no choice <laughs> now you have to oh okay well people want to be able to listen to this on the way to the holidays isn't that what you want echoing wait, through your ears everybody pause christmas there's a new point to yeah, law review we, on. Oh, we have to listen to this no it's oh kids go uh you know play with the loud toys i'm gonna pop in the headphones and the airpod pros yeah. and, and forget Put the, the noise counseling on and yeah just zen all right, go back to episode one for the disclaimer. This is Point Two Law Review, brought to you by Anderson Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. We have offices in Holdridge, Minden, and Kearney. Um, anything else? I don't think so. All right, well, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. The island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright. Shine by day and all the stars at night. Melancholy.